What's going on? This is Andy. And this is August. Hey guys, it's Liz. What's going on guys? This is Brandon. What's up? This is Dave. What's up? It's Logan and Kai. And you're listening to the Anti-Social Social Tour Podcast. Hello, who are you and what do you do? My name is Christine Malika. I'm a licensed psychologist in the state of Pennsylvania, and I currently podcast here at the Social Tour. I'm an undergraduate psych professor at Lafayette, and I work in a private practice doing neuropsych assessment. Let's get into it. This is part two. I used to be antisocial. That was the old me. But now I'm feeling social. And I think we should meet. I used to be a local. Young in the run in the streets. What's up, what's up, world? It's Brandon Avery. Today, I'm here with my guest again, Christine. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad that you're back. Um, but just really quick, last time we talked about your year in the pandemic, uh, high school and taking a psych course, uh, college, going to college in Connecticut, uh, being the one threat, not triple threat, which I'm sure you are all those things, <laughs> being 21 and counseling people with a severe mental illness, uh, getting your master's in social organization psychology in the, from Columbia and NYC, uh, and then you were a consultant, right? Yes. So let's pick up right there where we left off for the people who are carried over from last episode. Okay, I have- I think I left off talking about my time as a consultant in New York City doing management consultant, uh, specifically organization or change management, which a lot of psych majors end up doing that yeah. because it's more the people side of the consulting house. And I had mentioned how I didn't care for the travel. yeah, And so I started to look for maybe my path of what it is I was going to do for a career. Because, you know, I'm still here. We're talking like mid-20s wow. still. You know, I'm probably... 25, 26 years old, 9-11 had just happened, wow. and I was living in New York City, and... Um, How did that... So you were in New York City when 9-11 yes, happened? Yes, I was living on 12th and Broadway, which is not near the um, World Trade Tower financial area, but it's more in the downtown area below the cutoff. They cut off um, car traffic in, at uh, Union Square at 14th. Yeah. So 14th Street was sort of the dividing line where a lot of people were leaving the memorials and the flowers and stuff. And I lived about two blocks below that. And um, it mostly was a lot of dust and debris and certain odors and smells, I can remember from that time. And there being the day it happened when we still didn't really understand fully what had happened. Where, where, where were you that day? I was leaving my apartment on my way to work as a consultant, and we were currently consulting at Pfizer, okay. which um, their headquarters is in New York City. Is it the people who did the vaccine? Yes. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Pfizer, Pfizer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Big, big Pfizer, big Pfizer. So I was leaving, and I was on the subway getting off um, in the 40s uh, near Pfizer, and I came up out of the subway, and a homeless man was starting to talk to me. And, you know, being in New York City, you sort of, you keep your distance a little, say hello, and just sort of keep moving, yeah. you know. And, um, but he was really gesturing to me to turn around and look. And I thought, wow, this guy's really, yeah. you know, he what's going on? Yeah. yeah. So I, I turned around and looked, and I could see the smoke coming out of one tower. And, you know, we, everyone, oh, that's, that's weird. What's yeah. going on there? You know, kind of thing. And then I uh, proceeded to my 
office first before going into Pfizer. I stopped by the consulting office first. And I never made it to Pfizer that day wow. because um, things unfolded pretty quickly. Because we're talking, this is like that, you know, you leave for work, 7.45, 8, you get out of the subway, 8. So it's right when all that was all happening between like, you know, the towers were attacked in the 8, 8.30 time frame. And um, it's hard to remember back then, but we didn't have the type of cell phone. We don't have smartphones. No, we didn't have we it. smartphones. I remember I was in school when it happened. And, um, and I think like most people didn't believe that it was as severe as, as it was because that was like big. Um, and I remember my teacher's reaction. I think we were watching the news at the time and then we saw the second tower hit. And then I think that's when, like, everyone, like, was like, okay, something's big is happening, yeah. Yeah, and there were so many rumors, oh, now it's the Sears Tower, now it's this and that. Yeah. And then there were the ones at the Pentagon and the, the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. It was, just, yeah, it was a lot of news at one time coming from so many different directions. And the internet, couldn't, you couldn't get on CNN. Yeah. You couldn't, um, even the phones in New York, you couldn't call wow. someone you wanted to call because there were, everything was kind of jammed. And like I said, we didn't have smartphones. Like you could try and call someone on your cell phone, but chances are you might not get through. Yeah. So people were mainly trying to email wow. because that there's people didn't really text so much yeah. back. It wasn't then a thing. Yet. It wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't as cell phones really what cell phones should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just cell phone just to call someone. So I remember information and communication being really snarled, but that was the era yeah. when I was deciding what it is I wanted to go do. So I was probably like 25 or 26 years old. And I decided that since I didn't like the travel, I knew I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I'm a homebody. (laughs) So I decided to stay with psychology because I liked it, but go into an area of psychology that I had a little more control over my career in life. Mm -hmm. And that to me at the time meant doing clinical counseling psychology where as my dad says you can hang up a shingle because you're licensed you can have a practice somewhere yeah you could be a professor yeah and both of those lifestyles are much more flexible yeah than working in a corporate setting so I went that route and I started applying to clinical psych programs I think I mentioned on the last time everywhere I would live so I applied in New York City yes, to like Fordham, NYU, Columbia, because I'd have my master's there. Um, and I want, I would live in Miami. So I applied to University of Miami because they had excellent, excellent um, doctoral psychology programs. And I think I applied in California, just anywhere I'd want to live yeah. <laughs> for six to eight years. And I ended up going to University of Miami. Yeah. And it was wonderful. I love, love the weather in Miami. Like, if I could move to Miami tomorrow, I would. Yeah. But my life is situated here now. But I love the weather. It's beautiful. Palm trees. It's like being, if the Caribbean had a big city. Yeah. That's what it is. the paradise. Yeah, that's what it is. And as people say, as my um, thesis advisor said, well, the price we pay for living in paradise is the hurricane season. So if you can survive hurricane season, the rest is pretty good. So I went down there. When is hurricane season? Um, it's the equivalent of like our winter. So it would okay. be like November through May or whatever. Okay. And that's when. So um, I moved down there. I didn't know a soul. And I just moved down, got an apartment with my parents' help, and started my doctoral degree. So were you very focused? Or did you, did you like party? Or did you, were you strictly just like paradise, relaxation, um, and study? Half and half. Okay. I definitely, I mean, Miami is a party city. Yeah. Okay, so South Beach, Miami, that's where they call it the sixth borough 
of New York City because everyone comes down to yeah. South Beach from from um, New York City to party. So you can crazy party there if you want to. But I did. I'd say like normal amount of socializing <laughs> and um, study because there's a lot of work. Yeah. Because when you get a degree in psychology, not only are you getting a PhD, so you're an academic doing dissertation and research, but you're also becoming a licensed practitioner. So you also have to become a clinician. Yeah. So it's both things at once. So it's a lot packed in. So there isn't a ton of time. And you have a lot of money when you're in graduate school to be like jet-setting around South Beach. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was a little bit of both, but I ended up making great friends. I loved um, so many of the people I went to school with who are the majority of the people I interview. Who are great, by the way, but I've been listening in. Yeah, and, yeah. and by the way, the person I'm talking to today, not only... Uh, were she and I co-workers when we were a consultant at the big consulting firm I worked for prior to the master's. Okay. She ended up coming to University of Miami too with to get you. a PhD. So you had a friend. Were you, she who, came who a year first? later. Okay. She came a year later. And how great is that to have someone you knew come and I'll talk to her later today. But Especially after the year because now you already set in. And you yeah. Can teach it's like, ropes. okay, yeah. at least I, I know. So um, that was great. And I really think back fondly in my time there and because of this podcast that I'm doing I ended up reconnecting with one of my professors at UM over email the last couple of days are and you he's, going to talk to them I hope so I hope I'm going I'm hoping to move from doing my peers to trying to tap into doing some of my former supervisors and okay. professors to get a different point of view and we just chit-chatted he asked me to send the podcast out to my alumni network oh my god <laughs> so I mean, I did. this is great yeah so it, it had me because I was thinking a lot about my psych experience because of this podcast and stuff and and teaching the undergrads and talking about it started making me think about my education so I ended up reconnecting with some of the people at UM and that's been really nice that's amazing and my time at UM was wonderful it's the time you're trained it's when you learn how to be a psychologist is when you learn um, how to be a clinician, how to do therapy. Yeah. It's when you take different experiences, we call them practicums and internships and fellowships where you're getting your different levels of training and you check stuff out. Maybe sometime you're working in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Maybe sometime you're working with geriatric patients. Maybe you're working with children, which you and I have talked about because yes. you have an experience with that too. Yes. And you get all these different experiences and working with people in the community and doing your study. So it's such a really exciting time of like growth yeah and um some of i i look back in awe that some of the people i did it with already married and had kids yeah and i think whoo i don't know how, how they did it they did it yeah because i was like still single in my you know mid to late 20s so but it was a wonderful time and unfortunately programs are very selective so they can only take maybe four to six students a year wow four or five max because most PhD programs remit your tuition. So you don't have to pay tuition because you're getting, you're working for the professor, you're teaching, yeah. you're sort of providing the university with a service in exchange yeah. for the tuition. So they can't take on a ton of people because you also need to have, there are only so many students, professors can mentor with a certain skill set. For, for the dissertation, right? So if you have to get through a whole dissertation, how many students can you do it for? You can't be doing it for 40 students. No, you can't. So there's reasons why the programs are small. Some of it has to do with funding. Some of it has to do with the number of um, students a professor can mentor. So it's not everyone gets to have that experience. So wow. lucky. That's really great. Um, really quick, um, before we move on to mm -hmm. now, um, have you reached? Have you uh, uh, 
had any hurdles that you had to come across? Because I know talking to it, it seems like a great journey, you know, mm -hmm. um, with minor hurdles. But have you had like anything that made you want to stop? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, there, I, I don't think anyone can get a PhD and not say there was a time they wanted to throw in the towel. Yeah. The majority of people, my understanding is who start a PhD end up ABD, all but dissertation. Okay. So the, the number of people who start, the majority do not finish. Wow. So to get I left with debt through, then. yeah, well, well, not really though, because you're not, um, you'll have some debt, but okay. you're getting your tuition wiped gotcha and you you get some fellowship money and stuff if 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 you have grants and stuff but there'll be some debt yeah now i i will say as an aside people who go to for-profit graduate schools and maybe they earn a psi d that's a different degree or some of these um schools that are they're for-profit they will have a lot of debt because um they can take much larger classes they don't have to do dissertations so you don't have the problem of needing a professor to do your research which they they still have to do like big projects and yeah. stuff but it's not the same type of thing where you you have to do your own original research yeah and those people if they stop they'll end up with a lot of debt so um most people i think if they're honest hit a point where they're like this is hard and i was reading how doing your dissertation can be one of the most alienating things you do because you're alone doing it no one's yeah your professor's there to help you but he's not holding your hand no. you know and you have to come up with your own original research question. Do your own. It takes years. You know, it takes years. It's not like a semester project. Yeah. <laughs> and if you hit a roadblock or something doesn't work out well and you have to go backwards, it can, it can feel devastating at the time. Um, I was lucky I had a great um, grad advisor, but some people don't. I was going to actually got you through it. Yeah. yeah, some people don't have such wonderful um, advisors or they have really bad experiences. Um, it's just a long and at times lonely journey to complete a PhD. And usually, you know, this isn't a field where you're coming out making the big bucks, like, oh, I got my PhD yeah. in psychology. Look out, here comes the Mercedes. You yeah. know, that's not the situation. So people are doing it because they really have a desire to um, understand individuals as psychologists on some level as a therapist you're interested in helping people that may be an initial thing that brings you into it but probably to get through it you really have to have that interest in research and that interest in how individuals behave and yeah. why they are the way they are to be interested in psychology or there's an area of research you're really interested in like you really want to help um, youth with this or elderly people with that there's really an area you're really interested in making a difference in so those are the things that eventually get you through but it's a hard road. You have to take qualifying exams. You have to take, I mean, it's it's just a long journey. And at the end, you do have a, an amazing feeling of accomplishment, for sure. Yeah. Um, just as do MDs who go through a residence and felt, you know, they come out the other side. So, I mean, it's it's like a, a long road to end up with these positions that require a lot of judgment, yeah. require a lot of um, decision-making that falls on you. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember one of my professors told me, you know, you guys, once you have the PhD, there's no one else to ask. So if you're working in an organization or you're performing the assessment or you're doing therapy, there's no one else to ask above you. You ask your peers, like you can consult with your colleagues and get advice and sort of have a peer. Um, talk, but there's no one, 
you're the expert now, yeah, so to speak. Are, like there's, yeah. there's you no one to be like, Oh, so I, I don't know. Let me go ask the person higher than the PhD. You know, yeah. it's your peers. It's maybe people more senior, more experienced, yes. but there isn't really someone you can like push it off to like yeah. the buck stops with you. Cause it's your name and your license and you're making the diagnosis and you're making the decision. You can't really, there's no other level to be say like, I don't know, let them decide. Yeah. I don't know. You know, so you end up with a lot of responsibility and you end up with a lot of autonomy and you get to sort of end up calling your own shot, so to speak. Like the people you've heard on my podcast, they've sort of, you know, have a lot of control yeah. over their work and how they work and what they choose to do and their hours. And they're, they're not um, working according to like a set schedule. Like if you work in like... Um, Any nine to five. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you get through. But my biggest stumbling block came with the dissertation that was like it seemed insurmountable and there were times I was just like I can't do this I need to stop I need to drop I, I was just miserable I was miserable and how deep were you in at the time I mean what you said oh, six years, right? as, yeah I was down there for six years in Miami and then I, at that point, I completed the internship, and I was wrapping up my dissertation my first semester of my two years of fellowship, which I did here at Rutgers in New Jersey. Okay. So, you know, you're probably in, like, that brutal fifth year where you're applying to internships. You're trying to finish your dissertation and defend it. You've gotten through the qualifying exams, and you're just like, wow, this is a lot. Yeah. But that was the biggest block personally where they're stumbling, about, I'd say in my personal life, there were a couple bumps along the way. I was dating different people. Um, didn't I, I wasn't in any, I wasn't married yet. So I, I didn't have like a serious relationship um, during the time. because so there's not a lot of time for it, but there is time for it probably to meet the right person. Yeah. So there was that sort of going on in my personal life where I didn't quite find the right person. So there was dating here and there, which kind of like, oh, what a downer. This is Some distractions. Out. Yeah, but also kind of like, oh, this didn't work out. That's a bummer. Um. I was also having a little conflict with my family at the time, which wasn't helping. So, and my mother had um, become much sicker. Her cancer had sort of come out of remission, and she passed away in 2009. And I graduated uh, with my degree in December of 2008, and she was able yeah. to be at my graduation. That's great. So that was nice. So there was a lot going on at the time, um, but just sort of like the ebb and flow of people's lives, there are times that have more or less going on, and you, and you move through it. And, yes. Um, but nothing that was so difficult that I didn't get through, or I could. And I had a lot of, I had a lot of financial support at a fellowship from the university. My parents helped me with the apartment, so I also had a lot going for me in terms yeah. of like support yeah. to make it. Uh, those hurdles. Yeah, yeah, to make it not so difficult. Like I had a lot on the plus column too. And I think I, the amount I had in the minus column was what every PhD student has, which are the stressors. So I think I was probably positioned to get through it pretty well. Okay. Yeah. That's good. That's good to know. Um, well, thank you for sharing with that, sharing, sure. sharing that. Um, so now that we're back, and I know we left off um, uh, last time with you going to get uh, your first vaccine on that. And it did it. Did you, were you able to get it that Wednesday? Yes, because of the, the snowstorm. Actually, they, they weren't able to give it to me that Wednesday, okay. but since we last spoke, I've gotten both doses. Really? So I'm fully vaccinated. Wow. 
And how are you able to get two so quick? Because we haven't talked in like a month. Correct. So it's three weeks because I got it has, Pfizer. It has so been a month. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. got the first dose not too long after they canceled that one for the so storm. And, the, and you know, it was funny after I got the second dose, there was a feeling of lightness or relief that I hadn't felt in a year. Yeah. That was sort of going on in the background that we all like know is there, but you can always check in with yeah. and feel. So when that I got that second dose, I felt the COVID fear lift a little bit, yeah. and I haven't felt that in a long time. And it's there so often for us that we don't even recognize it anymore. And I feel different being vaccinated. And my husband's vaccinated too, yeah. so we're both vaccinated. The children obviously aren't because they can't they be. Can't, yeah. But it feels different. Did you get uh, sick for the first dose or like any like mild headaches, any symptoms the, or anything? No, the first dose was barely, my arm was sore. Yeah. And there was like one or two moments of fatigue the first day. That's it. The second dose, sore arm, I didn't get sick or a fever like some people do, but I was wiped. Yeah. I just wanted to sleep for like, and not just two days. I wanted to sleep for like four or five days. I was just tired. Were you afraid of that or no? Sure. No, uh, because I know those are not active vaccines. They're vaccines that have like the... um RNA or some type of strand. They're not active. Okay. So there's no way you can get sick from them. It's just your immune system responding to the new material and That's trying to make yeah. it. Yeah. So I was just so relieved that I was able, because of my job being face-to-face -face with patients, I was able to get um, these doses. Because I know people are really trying now to like, how can I, I get it? How can I? Yeah. Are it's, you going to get one? I don't know. Um I'm going to say right now, no, because I don't, like, prior to we just mm -hmm. started talking, I don't take medication. Right. Um, I try to allow my body to do what it needs to do, and only in severe cases, let's say if something traumatic happened and I had to go to the hospital and mm -hmm. I couldn't, and they had to give me antibiotics or whatever type of uh, drugs they would give me, that is really the only way I take any type mm, of medication. Interesting. So it's it's nothing to do with the vaccine or the whatever everyone is saying. It's just because I just don't. I, I don't take Tylenol if I have a headache or Advil. I try to let my body do its natural Your thing. System, do yeah, its I, thing. I really do. Um, I have this. This. Um, this is. I've never said this on like air. Mm -hmm. I have this. This weird belief that medication and money, right? Mm -hmm. And and I use uh, Advil. Uh, so if I have a really severe headache, and we all know Tylenol, Advil, right? That's the usual. Mm -hmm. If I take it and it cures my headache, how can I make it more money? It has to then bring it back again. So it'll become like a routine headache. This is just in my How can my, you make the Advil more money? Yeah, I meaning like how can Advil make its own money? But if it uh, if it's uh, if it uh, like uh. cured me, right? And I and I was like, oh my God, my headache went away. So the next time I get a headache, I would go straight to the Advil again. That's my little theory. And it's like a crutch. I, yeah. Um be, and I think that I don't know, I'm not a scientist or a yeah. doctor, but I think something in the medication is like it's gonna bring it back again, mm. the headache. And that way, because it works so well, I'll go to it. The reason why I believe that because I don't really get sick, I don't get headaches. I'll get maybe one headache every now and again, but I'll just I'll just deal with it every okay. now and again. I'll get a very severe one. Sometimes I blame it on my glasses. I'll figure something Migraine to blame it on. Or something like yeah, that. and I'll just I'll just go through it, even if it's excruciating, um, because it doesn't come often. And I just truly believe if I was to go to any type of um, medication, then it will come back again often because I have to continue to provide the money for the drug. Huh. Um, that's just my little theory. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, and, and I'm not against anything. Mm -hmm. um, I just, because of who I am, I don't put anything in my body like that. So um, 
yeah, I don't, I don't get the flu Well, then shot. you rely on your immune system. Yeah, I do. And it's pretty good. That's the thing. So like, like we were talking earlier about my voice, it's, I can't, I've been counting the days. So like now it's like, this is where I'll go right where we just talked about. Mm-hmm. So my voice like did some, some is being weird. And the first couple of days I'm like, all right, cause it's normal. I'll go oh, whatever. I'm probably like, I probably got a cold. Like yeah. if I get sick, it's so minor. I'll just go, oh, I got a cold. I'm good. You yeah. would not even know. Cause that's the norm. And it's like once a year. Mm-hmm. So that's what I thought. And then it's like a week is in. Like, what is going on with my voice? Two weeks. I See, think I'm like at a month. That's allergies for you. Yeah. A month, that's yeah. allergies. And then uh, like the third week, someone told me, they said, allergy. I said, allergy. I never heard about like, like third allergy. And they said the same thing. You post navel drip and you know, and I'm like, okay, whatever. So now I'm like, now I'm counting. So then you, you mentioned to oh, Claritin, right? Yeah. And you said, nope. Right. And I said, no. <laughs> so, but then I also said, cause now if it's like two months and it's like, all right, now I have to, let's see. Cause I need to tell them, I need to have myself go, is it something like, can, is it something that's, what, is it a voice? Is it, is it an allergy? So I'll take the Claritin yeah. that, I, that, you know, you, that you, um, suggested. Yeah. And if it works, I'm going to go, oh, it probably is allergies. So then I'll know. Then at that point, I probably won't take anything else. But then there are also <laughs> other things you can do for it that aren't Claritin, right? You could drink tea with honey. I mean, there's so yeah, many other things you tea. could do, yep. right? That aren't the level of like an over the counter solution that has like you know clarity light that you could do that could yeah. help your voice and then you'd still be within the band of what you're comfortable yeah I, I i sound like steve-o to me <laughs> there's actually that store right for those of you we're in easton pa yes and um there's a nature store very close to this studio have you been there oh my guys my neighbors uh, yeah that's Easton outdoors no um if you go across the street okay and down before the bridge there's the natural I have store. not been, no. Oh, I can pay it a visit because I know I tried my my tea. I drink tea all the time. My honey with tea, that didn't work. Check it out there. Um, and I just thought it was nothing. So I'm like, oh. Yeah, and they've know. been there a long time. Yeah. So, so I'll give it a shot. Yeah. But yeah, I try to keep it like, you know, I don't know. We'll know if if I'm right when I'm 90, right? And yeah. just like running, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the world, you know, takes its turn. Sure. Um, but now that we're all caught up. Yeah. Let's talk about the now, right? Okay. <laughs> Christine, you're a licensed psychologist, right? You're a mother of two. Yes. You're a wife of a doctor. Yes. And a podcast host. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're a professor at Lafayette, teaching yes. undergrad, and you're working at a private practice. Yes. That's Those my are just life right now. Right now. Yeah, right now. Let's that's break what I do. them down. <laughs> okay. Starting with, we can start in uh, the order you want, or we can just okay. go all over. Let's let's get into it. All right. Well, I'll licensed psychologist. We've talked about that yes. the most. So I left Miami. Did my uh, fellowship, which is something you need to get licensed. I did that at Rutgers University, which is uh, very near where we are. Here. Uh, did you do uh, New Brunswick or Newark? New Brunswick. Okay. So I was at the um, the college, um, the main New Brunswick college campus, and I was working in the uh, university counseling center. Most, almost all universities have college counseling centers to help the students. Okay. And it's a great place for psychologists to do their internship or their um, fellowship because okay. it's an educational campus. So lots of times there'll be a um, supervisors there, a training program, an APA accredited internship. Like yes. my uh, internship was also at a college counseling center, and my fellowship was a wonderful two years at Rutgers. Can you tell me the two difference between mm-hmm. internship and a fellowship. Internship is what comes first. That's still part of your doctoral program, and you're finishing up your dissertation. So you're not yet doctor so-and-so you're not phd so-and-so yet on internship internship's the final year of that academic degree gotcha so once you finish internship if the dissertation's done you're truly done you're dr malika wow you're now not everyone gets their their dissertation done during internship 
But internship is sort of the last step of your program. And you have to apply to it just like doctors do, medical doctors do. And there's a like a lottery system sort okay. of for it. And there are more psychologists than there are spots. And there are more, definitely more psychologists than there are APA accredited spots. Wow. So it's super stressful. Some people don't get one. And they have to take another year and right. reapply the following year. They can't and, just go to another school? Uh, well, it's to- not. You don't do your internship at your school. Internships are out in the professional world. They're gotcha. at VAs. They're at university counseling centers. They're at hospitals. They're at, so they're not part of your campus or your professors at the school you're at they're they're out you you maybe have to go to a different state which is why you came back to Rutgers. which is why i went so my internship i was lucky it was in miami so I okay oh my <laughs> i did it at fiu florida international university counseling center and then my fellowship i went back because my mother was ill so i went back to um new jersey where they were living at the time and was it Rutgers? But lots of times you have to move away for your internship, which is then means you have to work on your dissertation from a distance, which is also a drawback, right? Um, I defended my dissertation my first semester of fellowship, so I was happy about that. It would have been nice to get it done over internship, but I yeah. didn't get it done. And um, so then, because you're called a postdoctoral fellow. Well, you want to be postdoc at that point. So yeah. I was a postdoctoral fellow by the you know, the, the end of the first semester. Okay. And then um, you need those hours after you've the, you're finished your degree, after you get the PhD, you're not licensed. So then you're a PhD because you finished your internship and you finished your dissertation. But now you have to go work somewhere as a fellow where you can earn the hours for the state licensure. Okay. And how many hours do you need? I need, about, uh, most people need about two years. It depends on the state. It depends on the state you live in. Um, Alabama, I think, doesn't require Require fellowship hours. The only reason I know that is because when I worked for the military, you worked for the military too. Yes, yes. Oh I goodness. was. I that was my first job post post fellowship. I worked for um, um, technically I worked for the Air Force on their base at McGuire okay. in New Jersey, but that base is hospital. The eighty seventh Medical Group actually treats. That's a joint base. So it's the Army. There's Marines there. There's um, Navy there. There's Air Force there. There's everyone but Coast Guard there. So you are actually treating all the branches wow. when you're at the 87th Medical Group because it's a joint base. It's called McGuire, Dix, Lakehurst. That's like a good way to start. Yeah, McGuire was Air Force, Dix was Army, Lakehurst, and Navy. So that was my first job as a licensed psychologist with, quote, unquote, no one to help me, right? Yeah. No one to – and I was clearing people um, for deployments. I was clearing them mental health-wise for deployment. Okay. And that was a great job. But the reason I brought that up is you can't get a job with the U.S. government, like the the Department of Defense for the jobs, unless you have an APA credit internship. The government requires that. Okay. So if you don't get an APA credit internship, it does shut a few doors. It closes a few doors for those psychologists in terms of if they wanted to work at um, uh, Department of Defense contracts. And I don't know if the VAs also require require an APA credit internship. I'm pretty sure, but I'm not positive. Okay. So it closes some doors. So that's why people really like to get those, but you can't always get them. And some people, it gets so um, tight to get a spot that if you agree to join the military, it's if easier. You, they'll give you an internship. So you say, look, wow. if you join the Navy and you'll come in probably as like a, well, if you have your, P, you'd be a captain, right? 
but you do your internship with them, although you might still be a first or second lieutenant because you wouldn't have the PhD yet, but you come in as like an officer is my yeah. point. And, but then <laughs> you're not just signing up for the year of internship. Yeah. You signed stay. into the military. Yeah. So then you owe them a little time back, but some people do that. So there aren't enough spots. At least that was the case when I was going through. They have worked very hard. APIC, that's the name of the organization that runs the the internship slots. They've worked very hard to try and alleviate this issue. Now we're talking like, you know, years ago that I did this. So I don't know if it's now improved. Maybe there's a new system. Maybe someone out there will call in and tell yeah, me, oh right. no, there's tons of spaces now. Or they changed it now. But when I was there, it was a really big issue because there were a lot of these for-profit programs with CIDs. So there were many, many more psychologist interns coming out of programs than it was years and years ago. Yeah. So that's a little piece. So that's another reason why it's very hard to get in these programs. And it's very hard to complete the programs. It's hard to get your interest. It's hard all the way. And then, like I said, you're not making big boxes as a psychologist. Yeah. Okay, it's you're not. You really, really want to do it. Yeah, you got to really yeah. want to do it. So um, I had done a lot of work and a lot of experiences. Some we talked about working with kids yes. in um, psychiatric units, um, which a lot of them end up being foster kids, yes. kids who have a lot of uh, mental health troubles from being abused. Yeah. Because um, most kids, most kids are not walking around with sort of organic mental health illnesses. A lot of them um, come to have periods of mental illness due to abuse. Correct. Let's be honest. That, that's what's going on. I agree. Um, so anyway, I had finished those experiences. I was finally licensed and I got my first job. At, as a department defense contractor working on base with active duty military and I had arrived I'd finally finished I had a job what I was, was independent it was such a good feeling I was truly on my own not a student that you know I was a grown-up so to speak and I had my own little apartment in Yardley PA I had this two-bedroom apartment in Yardley PA that I loved and I had my little dog Poppy I had a little pug named okay. Poppy who was like my child <laughs> and um I was you know, that those feelings you get when you're truly on your own, supporting yourself and, you know, not dealing with student loans, just earning that paycheck and doing your job. And, and it was hard because the military starts their day at 730. And I was in Yardley, Pennsylvania, and the base was down in New Jersey. So and so it was a long, it was a yeah. long commute. So I was like, oh. And here so we are, like, back to the commuting again. Yeah. Like, yeah. But um, the reason I mentioned that was because we were talking about Alabama because the military is like sort of a federal level. Okay. And lots of times they want, if say you're in the military, you're a captain or you're, and you got your degree with the military, they, you don't have to do a, they just have you get licensed in Alabama. Okay. Because to work for the military, you just have to be licensed in a state, one of the 50 states. You don't have to be licensed in New Jersey to work at McGuire. So I was licensed in Pennsylvania. But because it's federal level, as long as you're licensed in a state, you, you can work. Because think of it this way. You know how much military people move. Yeah. What if if you were an MD for the military, a PhD for every time they PCS you were permanent you change of station, license. you had to get a new license. Yeah. It's not going to work for them. Yeah. So that's how I know about Alabama because a lot of the um, military psychologists are licensed there because you don't have to do the fellowship. But in Pennsylvania, you do, <laughs> and it takes about two years, wow. fifteen hundred hours, I think. So um, you need to submit, and then you have to take the state exams, and you have to take the national boards. You know, it's it's a whole thing. It's a dedication. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you finally come out and you're like, look, it, I'm freshly minted. <laughs> you say it was all worth it. I do because I now enjoy a level of flexibility and control over my life that I would not have if I wasn't an independently licensed individual. 
there are many jobs open to that me. Are like, there are many uh, uh, psychiatrists that are under companies, right? Psychologists. Yeah, because um, yeah, psychiatrists are the medical doctors. Gotcha. Yeah, that the, the prescribe the meds. There are psychologists that, I don't think a lot of them work for companies, but if you're an org psychologist or, or a forensic psychologist, you work for like a criminal justice. But um, if you're a licensed clinical psychologist, like most of the people I talk to, we treat patients. Gotcha. So we go into a private practice or... Um, Sometimes you, you can work in nursing. There's just so much you can do. And not just psychologists, may I say, but licensed clinical social workers. Uh, one of the gentlemen I spoke to, the LCSW, that's a very versatile degree. So the LCSW, which is master's level, so it takes a little less time and energy. Um, and, the, and the PhD, you, you can do a lot. And you're never going to be out of work. Okay. Okay. There's no layoffs of psychologists. Or, or you you. There's always going to be, and if, and if you want to, you can just go rent your own space, start seeing patients, charging with the insurance. So you're sort of, um, like I said, at your, you're at your own yeah. beck and call. Nice. It's hard work, though, yeah. to run a practice that we've heard from people. It's not, it's not it's for not people easy. who don't want to work a lot, a lot of hours, but you can do it. And we, we live where we are, you know, is Amazon warehouse land where you're, you're working sort of a factory <laughs> yeah. setting by the hour, according to someone else's rules. So if you go the distance and have the abilities to get a certification or do it, it doesn't even have to be graduate school, but some type of, it makes you a something yes. that you're certified. And then there seems to be a lot more doors open to you and you're less beholden to the ebbs and flows of the job market, things like that. So I think it was worth it. Wow, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, <clears throat> now, I think we got to mix these, these two should go, mm. right? Which two? Mother uh, to which? Yeah. yeah. Mother, right, <laughs> the <evil>. wife to <laughs> a doctor came before mother of two. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I was, as I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, I think this yeah, goes yeah. the They're other his way. kids. They're yes. his kids. Okay. <laughs> and why, and you know, you said wife to a doctor. Why? Cause you heard my husband in here doing yes. my pilot. Is that why you yes. marked? Cause you found that interesting. Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I think he mentioned that in the, the pilot of, when I'm talking about my podcast now, not Brandon's interview with a therapist. Um, he and I had sort of always been one step apart on the same path. So wow. I lived in New York City, um, as you know, when I got my master's degree, when I was working as a consultant. And when I moved to New York City in 1997, after I graduated from Wesleyan for my first job with the profoundly mentally ill, he had just moved out. He went to Columbia for okay. undergrad. I went there for my master's. So he was coming out of New York and you yes, were going in. Yes, he was finishing up his residency in surgery at um new york hospital and leaving right when i moved in and it's actually a good thing we hadn't met then because he had just gotten uh married he, i'm his second wife so he had just gotten married so it was not our time okay, yeah. <laughs> it was not our time he was on a different path at that point and he had moved to miami wow okay so how funny is that and the then universe just like pfizer yeah. like how like and you <laughs> yeah. it's just Go keep going. Go. That's and weird. And so then he had moved to Miami for his fellowship at a hospital I ended up working at when I was wow. so. Then he left Miami, and he was gone from Miami a couple of years, and I moved to Miami. And so again, we weren't in the same city yeah. at the same time. And then he ended up at Rutgers uh, as a professor at Robert Wood Johnson of surgery. Okay. And right when he left Rutgers, Robert Wood Johnson. Don't tell me you. I showed up at oh my, my fellowship goodness. at Rutgers, but again, it was meant to be this way because he was uh, married in his first marriage, so we couldn't have met. We couldn't have interacted with each other because yeah. the timing—it wasn't the time. It wasn't, yeah. 
So it all ended up the way it should be. So then he um, left Robert Wood Johnson and ended up here in the Lehigh Valley. He took his job at the, Lehi- the hospital in the Lehigh Valley. And I finished at Rutgers and I was then working at the job in the military. And our lives were then on separate paths. Yeah. That's truly when our lives were on separate paths that then we met. <laughs> right? And how did you meet? So we were on separate paths. He ended up getting divorced. Um, and he went on eHarmony after his divorce. Oh, wow. And I was on eHarmony. Is this a success story for eHarmony? Yes, yes. This is an ad for eHarmony. Right? So I was on eHarmony because I was then, remember I said I was finally kind of set. Like yes. I was living in my own apartment. Mm-hmm. I had my job and my doggy. Your dog, you know? yeah. And I said, oh, okay, I'm going to start like seeing what's in the, the dating pool. So I went on eHarmony and... I joined for three months or something like that. Yeah. And it sounds was, like a testimony. <laughs> yeah. And I had, I had wrapped up my three months. I was shutting down that week because yeah. I met some people, but nothing that, that worked. And he had just joined and sent me uh, a hello, how are you or whatever. Yeah. And I was not. And prior interested. to this, you guys didn't know each other existed. <laughs> not at all. Okay. We didn't know each other existed. And he wrote me because he saw, and it shows on your profile, like your little where you went to school. He's like, oh, yeah. I went to Columbia and you went to Columbia and, and you lived in Miami. You know, he saw all these things yeah. and he's like, I thought I'd say hello, but I wasn't interested because um, he was, he's nine or 10 years older than me okay. and he's divorced and he has kids from his first marriage. I have stepsons who are wonderful. And I was like, well, we're in two different places in life. Like I've never been married, have no kids. You're like, we're in two different yeah. places in life. Like we're not, you know, you, you have totally different life experiences than I do. So, and also, uh, so I wrote him back a very nice note saying, no, thank you. And I said, I'm also not interested in dating a surgeon because they're arrogant oh and, and difficult. And like, you probably cheat on your wife. Is that, is you that know, a like, thing? Is that what they say about surgeons? Yeah, 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 yeah. That they're arrogant and difficult personalities and their jobs are, you know, they're never at home. And they, like I said, they cheat on their wives. And so I, I wrote him back a nice, I said, I, I don't, think that but good luck because yeah i'm sure you'll find someone great but we're not meant to talk yeah and what did he say and i also well i also was not i was nice about but not that nice about it because i and on eHarmony there's this whole little system where you send these questions then they answer you send another question and they answer you send another question and at the end you finally get to write each other freely well this guy jumps ahead skips all the questions just writes me freely i said there's the arrogance that's what i'm talking about and i could tell from what he had written me it was cut and paste. He written it to everybody. Really? <laughs> I could tell. Did, did he confirm that? I could, well, so when I wrote, I said, look, and just a word of advice on eHarmony. I said, I know you skip through to the open communication because you're confident. I mean, it's good. He's confident. Yeah. I said, but I can tell this is a cut and paste to everybody. And you just threw in the top part about, hey, we both lived in Miami. I said, it's not a good look. Okay. Wow. I said, and I can also tell that you're not the same age you're saying on here because unless you were Doogie Hauser, Oh, my God. You were not. So I said... <laughs> But best of luck. You seem nice, but I'm not interested for and I for all these reasons. Yeah, because you got to be clear on the dating apps. You kind of got to let people know. Thank you. You know, you can't just be like maybe. You know, you got to. Yeah. So I said that's the end of that. And I was at a Frankie Valley concert in New York City with my friend, and um, I sat down and I saw a buzz on my phone. And this was after Hurricane Sandy. Okay. Okay. So this was like November of 2012. It was after Hurricane Sandy. Okay. And I looked down. I said, huh, another note from that guy. Yeah. He didn't give up. He wrote, he said, well, I think you should give me a chance. Consistency is it. He said, I think we have a lot in common. And I think I am not like those other arrogant surgeons. I think you should give me a chance. I said, oh, look at this guy. Yeah. I said, you know what? Because you rejected him. 
Yeah, and, and not in a mean way, but yeah. I did say no thank but you. Men, we like rejection. I Especially guess. Especially when, if you're always getting your way. Yeah, I think there was a little bit to that, like, hey. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't do it for that reason. I really was not looking because yeah. I was closing down my account. And I said, well, you know what? Who am I not to give someone a chance? What, I, I can't, you well, know. I'll change your heart. Yeah, like, I can't uh, be wrong about a first impression or I can't be yeah. wrong about just what I see someone on paper. Yeah, like, because now you can meet him and yeah, like confirm who, it or deny if it. If he's yeah. saying, like, hey, listen, I'm not. I said, well, you know what? What do I say? I'm so perfect, you know? So I... And not to be down, it's just I'm saying, like, I think everyone, you got to be open. You got to give people a chance, especially yes. if they're going to go out of their way to, like, give you a second chance. So I said, okay. I said, well, we can't meet, though. I said, oh. we can um, email. Wow. Listen, when you're in your 30s now and you've been on online dating a lot, you don't waste your time. Yeah. <laughs> you're not like, meeting. Let's just knock this You're not meeting. Yeah. So I said, so we, I said, we can email. I'm not, I don't really, I don't want to meet yet. That could, we could maybe meet if things work out. I said, but let's just email a little bit and get to know each other. I'm not interested in seeing, you know. And so we emailed for a while. Then I said we could Zoom, or they didn't call it Zoom then. Um, like, uh, FaceTime, Google, uh, FaceTime, Skype, Skype, Skype. Skype, yes. Skype. Uh -huh. I said, well, we could Skype because it was going well. I enjoyed yeah. email, so then we could Skype. And so we Skype for a while. And then finally, after a month or two of that, he said, can we finally meet in person yeah. for dinner? Yeah. And we did, and we got to the restaurant when it opened. It was in, uh, we met in Lambertville, because that was sort of in between, because he was living in like a, I guess a bachelor pad post his divorce, and um, <laughs> Clinton, he was in like a one-bedroom bachelor, furnished bachelor pad after yeah. his, you know, divorce in central New Jersey, and I was in Yardley, so we met halfway, and um, we shut the restaurant down. We talked the whole, throughout the whole dinner, and four hours. And they closed. And, and closed. They and let you guys stay. Oh, no, we sh well, they shut oh, it down. Yeah. They kicked us out. Yeah. And he said, good night. It was nice meeting you. And then um, he called me the next day and asked if I'd like to go out again. And the rest is history. Now we're married, two kids. One question. Because <laughs> yes. um, I, I love this. Um, and it definitely was a testimonial. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You already can pay me now. Is there one thing that he said or that you guys talked mm -hmm. about from that first date that you remember that stuck with you and probably said, you know what? Because I, I truly believe, and you can also answer this, it's two questions, I guess. Mm -hmm. Women know who, who they want to be when they first meet them. Okay, so I had the, I had already been emailing him. I'd already been, um, what's it called? Like Communicating. Skyping, yeah, yeah. what we used to call that. And so I met him in person. I remember he had a much like friendlier countenance, yeah. like the smile, the, like something about the the manner of the person's interpersonal. He was very friendly. Yeah. You could tell he's very nice. That I remember first uh, meeting in that he just seemed like easygoing, friendly, and nice. Yeah. Wasn't like a difficult person or yeah. wasn't someone who was like a that little first bit impression. irritable. Yeah, yeah. It was. Mm -hmm. And I asked him one time, well, what was your first seeing me? He's like, oh, you look a lot younger than you did in Harmony. I'm like, oh, Okay, bonus. You yeah. must have been like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this his, is the way to get out of the voice. His, yeah, his thing was physical, right? He yeah. was like, oh, you looked much younger than your picture. Like, his, of course, is men. You know, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. And, and yeah. mine was yeah. um, that he seemed like there was a friendly, kind vibe yeah. that I got. And his, his interest remained so, like, he was a pursuer. Uh -huh. You know, he was a pursuer. And um, that, of course, for me, at least was like, oh, OK, like this person is truly interested. They're, they're like a pursuer. You know, they're interested. And, and I've been very lucky. I'm, I'm knocking on Brandon's wooden table here. That's right. <laughs> that, um, luckily, in my life, in my relationships, I always had pretty good relationships and they were always 
pursue. And the people were always serious. Like I was never um, in a situation where the person wasn't interested or not taking it seriously, or I never had a bad, oh, they walked out. Like I, I always had people that were interested in having a long-term serious relationship with you. So I was lucky with that. I was like a serial monogamist, I guess. And so I was glad to see the same thing was happening with John. But I also, for the first time, felt like, hey, this is someone I take seriously. Yeah, This is someone I could see um, forging a relationship with that was like a long-term committed relationship. And that's exactly what happened. We ended up getting engaged five or six months after that. Wow. Yeah. And, and the rest is history. The rest is history. Yes. Well, you know what? Thank you for sharing that with mm -hmm. me. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but that's okay because we have part three. Yes, yes. and I know we're, you're very punctual, so because yes. I can do this all day, I'm sure you can as well. So lastly, where can we find you for the listeners that are listening in that are new and people that who knew last time, they already know. Um, well, I'm at Interview with a Therapist is the name of my podcast that I do right here uh, with the social tour. And you can find that anywhere that you download your podcasts and that's the best place to be able to contact me and reach me i love it thanks again christine thank you